Hi, everybody, um, and welcome to this session on Making Philanthropy Work, Why Effective Altruism is Essential to Rebuilding Social Capital and Egalitarianism with Andrew Lee. My name is Bridget Williams, and I'll be the MC for this session. We'll be starting with a 12-minute talk by Andrew, and then we'll move on to a live Q&A session where he'll respond to some of your questions. Now I'd like to introduce our speaker for this session. Andrew Lee is the Shadow Assistant Minister for Treasury and Charities and Federal Member for FENA in the Australian Capital Territory. Prior to being elected in 2010, Andrew was a professor of economics at the Australian National University. He holds a PhD in public policy from Harvard and is a fellow of the Australian Academy of Social Sciences. He's authored several books, with the most recent being Reconnected, a Community Builder's Handbook with Nick Terrell. Andrew is also a keen marathon runner and hosts a podcast titled The Good Life, Andrew Lee in Conversation. Here's Andrew. When he was 54 years old, Alfred Nobel had an experience few people will ever have. He read his own obituary. What had happened was that his brother, Ludwig Nobel, had passed away and the newspaper had made a mistake. And so Alfred Nobel read in the newspaper an obituary which said, the merchant of death is dead. Alfred Nobel had invented dynamite, uh, combining unstable nitroglycerin with diatomaceous earth in order to produce uh, a ferociously powerful explosive used in construction but also in destruction. And he realised that that was all he was going to be remembered for if the obituary was accurate. And so in the final years of his life, he focused instead on creating the Nobel Prizes, putting away money now equivalent to around half a billion Australian dollars to create the leading prizes for scientists and you know, social scientists around the world. Thinking about our legacy is really vital to ensuring that we can do the most while we're here on this planet. Rabbi David Slavin, who operates Our Big Kitchen in Sydney, says he'll often ask donors uh, what their ambitions are. Uh, they'll tell him things like reducing poverty or improving understanding across cultures. And he'll say, that's great, that's what we're doing, so you may as well just come and help us. And then with a mischievous smile, he says, really, my donors should be thanking me. In this talk today, I want to speak about the role that effective altruism plays in improving the quality and quantity of philanthropy. I'll be drawing on a book of mine, Reconnected, co-authored with Nick Terrell, uh, which talks about three critical ways we can boost philanthropy. Enthusiasm, ease and evidence. Enthusiasm, according to Wired founder Kevin Kelly, is worth easily 25 IQ points. In a world in which we're often looking at problems, whether that's climate change or poverty or war, it's easy to get bogged down, uh, to have a sense that uh, every, the weight of the world is on our shoulders. But many of the most effective charities and many of the most effective philanthropists have been using enthusiasm to tap into giving. Researcher Elizabeth Dunn says we should be talking about the pleasure that giving brings. Elizabeth and her co-authors have done a range of studies uh, which do things like uh, giving two groups of money, uh, two groups of people a sum of money at the start of the day. One group is told to spend the money on themselves. Another group is asked 
to get, spend the money on other people. At the end of the day, the people who spend it on themselves have often gone shopping for a low-value item, while those who spent the money on others have given it to a charity or to somebody who's homeless. Invariably, it's the givers who are happier than the people who spent the money on themselves. This starts early. Uh, a research which asks uh, young children to either eat goldfish crackers or to share some of them with a monkey puppet finds that the kids who shared the crackers with the monkey puppet are happier as a result. The part of the brain that lights up when we think about giving is the same part of the brain that lights up when we think about food or sex. Charities have recognised the value of bringing philanthropists together. Bill Gates and Warren Buffett have created the Giving Pledge, asking billionaires to give away at least half of their wealth. And over 200 billionaires have signed up. There's hundreds of firms that have signed up to the Pledge 1%, pledging to give 1% of either their revenues or their profits to charity. Community giving circles have helped to increase the fun and enthusiasm of giving as well, bringing people together to make decisions on how they want to donate. And I think there's a vital role for effective altruism in those giving circles. We want to think about infiltrating the giving circles in order to encourage people not just to give for the warm, warm inner glow, but also to give where it's most effective. But I'm getting ahead of myself. The second principle for boosting giving is ease. Atlassian, the Australian-based technology company, used to have a workplace giving program that allowed any employee to give to any of a large number of charities. About 1 in 50, 2% of Atlassian staff were signed up to the program. And then they decided to revamp it. They put in place what they called a six-second sign-up process. They chose one charity, the Cambodian Literacy Charity, and enrolment in the program soared to 40%. They said they did get some complaints. They estimated that about 2% of their staff complained about it, probably those who were giving to the existing charities. But by asking people in Atlassian to support Room to Read, Atlassian made it easy to give. This philosophy of improving the ease of giving uh, is also uh, reflected uh, in the tap to give approaches, where at a charity event uh, you can organise to have a machine where you just tap your card and it donates $5. Roundup for charity works on the same principle, asking people in the final checkout stage whether they want to round up to the nearest dollar and give that money to charity. It's all grounded in behavioural economics, in that notion that there is a great power to making things simple and free. One of my favourite little behavioural economics studies uh, looks at uh, demand for two different chocolates, uh, a yummy one and a not very good one, uh, when they're priced at 26 cents and one cents. About half the people choose each of the chocolates. Then they drop both prices by one cent, so now they're 25 cents and free, and suddenly almost everybody grabs the free chocolate. Free has a, a powerful power, uh, and it needs to be used by philanthropists and those who are keen to boost philanthropic giving. And finally, evidence. I love the line from GiveWell co-founder Ellie Hassenfeld, 
who said that he realised that he needed to uh, get involved in uh, the effective altruism movement when he was staying up until 3am reading papers about diarrhoea. He said when you're in that situation, you know it's time to quit your hedge fund job and focus on effectiveness. GiveWell is an extraordinarily important organisation which guides much of the philanthropic giving uh, that my wife Gwyneth and I do. Its top-ranked charities include the Against Malaria Foundation, which has managed to drive the cost of bed nets down to just two US dollars per bed net and is playing a massive role in bed netting Africa. They also allow philanthropic giving to, or encourage philanthropic giving uh, to an organisation called Give Directly, uh, which encourages donations to people in Kenya and Uganda living in households under $2 a day. Give Directly finds poor villages and then finds poor households within those villages uh, who to, to be targeted. That way we can be sure that these are some of the world's poorest people. Other uh, GiveWell give well, uh, favoured charities uh, include uh, uh, charities to provide vitamin A uh, to, uh, to assist children. And they're also moving into some of the uh, important public policy issues, uh, such as the fact that in developing countries, uh, a surprisingly large share of suicides occur as a result of ingesting pesticides. So supporting campaigns to better regulate pesticides uh, is on the GiveWell to-do list. And GiveWell has been successful in moving hundreds of millions of dollars of donations uh, into their preferred charities. What's not to like? Well, sites like Charity Navigator argue that GiveWell uh, applies a, a sort of one-size-fits-all approach, uh, while others, such as the writer David Brooks, uh, say that it's too depersonalising. David Brooks says this kind of hyper-rational, uh, Star Trek, Dr Spock kind of approach uh, takes the heart out of giving, takes away the love that can be involved uh, in giving to a cause that you're directly connected to. He's particularly critical of the earning to give model uh, in which someone might choose not to become a charity worker but stay a merchant banker and give a large share of their money to charities. He says if you really care about poverty in Africa, uh, you probably won't, won't achieve that goal by working on Wall Street. I think they're powerful critiques, but I think they're wrong. Ultimately, you can stay engaged uh, with the people that you want to help the most. Uh, through uh, their workplace giving program, Atlassian now encourages their staff to pay their own way, to go to Cambodia, uh, to read with children and to assist in the way in which the program operates. We've also, also seen uh, a range of people who are uh, in the earning to give model who spend time working with the organisations that they care about the most. I think there's huge potential for the effective altruism movement to do more to expand altruism. At a time at which people are really feeling the pinch on their family finances for a recession and a pandemic, we need to ensure that people understand that when they give, they will save lives. We need to raise the bar on proof. And organisations such as GiveWell can do a better job of evaluating domestic charities and evaluating charities in other countries. 
I think this is a, a, a cause with enormous potential. Right now, apparently, only 3% of charitable donors uh, look at effectiveness when they consider where to give. So it's also a matter of educating givers, as well as raising the amount of information that is available. We have to make sure that philanthropy doesn't move from being a mass participation activity into an elite sport. There's too much of a risk that as inequality rises, and we get more and more stories of billionaire donations, that kids don't think they've got a role in raising money in their local communities to help out with medical research or poverty alleviation. We need to ensure that all of us consider philanthropy a part of what it is to live a good life. It's not just for Alfred Nobel. It's not just for extraordinary philanthropists like David Slavin. It's for ordinary people around the world whose pleasure in living a good life can be improved through their contribution to making the world a better place. Looking forward very much to your questions. Uh, probably not as well attired as I am here standing today in Parliament House. Uh, I'll be speaking to you from home in my civilian clothes. Uh, I look forward to your questions. If I don't get to answer anything, please drop me an email. I'm easily findable at uh, the modestly named andrewlee.com. Thanks very much. Okay, um, thanks so much for that talk, Andrew, and uh, thank you so much for taking the time um, to join us here for this live Q&A session. Um, so I know you're Real very pleasant, so I appreciate it. Okay, great. So we've got a few questions in the chat already, but I might just start with one of my own, if that's okay. Um, so in the talk, I really liked how you bring out the, the twin benefits of philanthropy. So I guess both the, the benefits to the people who are the uh, beneficiaries of philanthropic work, um, but also the benefits to the people that are making the donation in terms of the joy of giving and also the strengthening of community ties. Um, in effective altruism, we think about how people can use their resources to, to do good. Um, and of course, money is one important resource, but we also consider time and attention as other resources that could be put towards um, the altruistic project. Um, do you think that the same point about harnessing these kind of twin benefits of altruism could be made for these other methods of acting on altruism, which encouraging people to use these resources in terms of their time and civic engagement altruistically have the same beneficial effects on social capital? Okay, absolutely, Bridget. And I think there is uh, a way in which we can make that warm giver's glow go deeper. Uh, so, you know, people get a pleasure out of uh, helping to pick up garbage or paint a fence, um, but I think there's an even deeper pleasure to doing giving in a way that is tapping into your comparative advantage. Uh, if you're an accountant and you spend a day helping do the books for a charity, you know you're doing something special that not everyone could have done. And likewise with effective altruism, I think there's a pleasure to uh, handing over some cash to the first person who comes up to you in the shopping market, shopping centre, gives you a sense that you've been kind to others. But what a deeper pleasure there is when GiveWell this week sent around its list of top charities and estimated that for each of the top charities, between 3,000 and 5,000 US dollars saves a life. Uh, and it, it happened that uh, uh, I was able to think, well, that, that might actually mean that there is a person alive in the world who wouldn't otherwise be alive but for my donation through GiveWell this year. Uh, and that is a much deeper glow that you, you get uh, than the superficial uh, happiness of, of just handing over cash to, to the first person who asks. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, um, that's absolutely right. 
Um, so we've got a few questions from that are submitted from the audience. Um, so I might go with one of those. Um, somebody's asked about um, the, the three aspects that you mentioned in your talk. Uh, so I think ease, enthusiasm and evidence um, and whether government can play a role in, um, I guess, helping to uh, expand these and when it comes to charitable giving. I'm not sure government can do terribly much about enthusiasm, but I certainly think it can work on the ease and the evidence aspect. Uh, ease is about taking some of the unnecessarily uh, burdensome regulation off charities, particularly uh, charitable fundraising regulation that was built in a pre-internet age uh, when online was a place where you put your, your, your uh, clean washing. Uh, and in Australia, for example, we have fundraising legislation that's state-based because it's a shame you'd be going door to door and so you'd register at the state level. But that's become crazy as people are registering online and soliciting donations from across the country. Uh, so simplifying that uh, regulation provides a sense of ease for the charity uh, and by extension makes it easier for the giver to, uh, to give. Uh, on the evidence front, I think it's vital that governments are really careful about how they go about assessing charities and don't get into this business of saying a great charity is one with a low admin burden, full stop. Uh, governments probably aren't the best place to be doing impact evaluation of charities because there's an inherently subjective aspect to that. Uh, I like the idea of a, a givewell.org sitting a bit apart from government, uh, but government can make sure that they're making as much of that, uh, that uh, information available, uh, that where charities would like to do impact evaluations, ideally randomised trials, using government administrative data, uh, that that's, that's available. Uh, so governments can be providers of, uh, of, of evidence, which then feeds into those impact evaluations from organisations such as GiveWell. Gosh, I, I feel like I'm sort of spruiking GiveWell a bit today. Sorry about that, Bridget. No, that's fine. Um, they're, they're a really great organisation. And as you mentioned, they've just released their um, updated list of recommended charities. So I guess they're, they're on the mind, perhaps more than usual. Um, yeah, th those are some really good points, I think. Um, another thing that seems to come up a lot is this issue around tax deductibility um, of charities in Australia and that they're, it's quite restrictive which charities can be tax deductible. So perhaps that's another, another area where government regulation can have an impact on, um, I guess, making uh, yeah, effective philanthropy um, easier for more people as well. Yeah, you're totally right. The, the um, categories sort of flow out of these... Uh, uh, 16th century case law rather than being grounded in uh, the, the core areas where uh, people would most like to, uh, to, to be doing good. Uh, so if you give to an opera company, you get a tax, a tax donation. Uh, if you give to uh, a, a local soccer club, you probably don't get a tax donation. And it's not obvious to me that the public benefits of the opera are higher than the public benefits of the soccer club. Uh, there's anomalies like that, obviously, in all areas of the law, but it's probably right for updating. Yeah, yeah, and I think also animal welfare charities don't um, don't get much of a mention in that either. Um, That's true. So yes, it's yeah, very, 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 very focused on two-legged animals. Is uh, is the charity law? Yeah, that's right. Um, there's another question um, around, I guess, a, a different action of government when it comes to doing good and uh, through, I guess, the use of aid budgets. So um, somebody's asked about how we, um, as individuals, can influence governments to use their aid budgets more effectively. Yeah, I think using that language of aid effectiveness is important. Uh, I'm really struck often that progressives steer away from talking about uh, some kinds of overseas aid being more effective than others uh, and do so 
I think often because they don't want to tarnish any aspect of overseas aid. Uh, here in Australia, we've had a, a big cut in, in overseas aid, uh, going from about 0.35% of gross national income down to about 0.2% of gross national income, lowest level since we began recording these things. And in such an environment, I can understand why somebody who wants to see more aid doesn't want to criticise any aspect of the aid budget. But I think that's a mistake. I think we do need to be talking about high-quality impact evaluation, uh, about the fact that there is uh, a uh, randomised trials uh, revolution occurring in development economics, uh, and some countries' giving is being shaped very heavily by that. Other countries' giving, I'm looking at my own country here, uh, is largely uh, sitting uh, aside from uh, where the evidence is pointing. Um, Australia's commissioning almost no randomised trials in development, uh, and I don't see strong evidence the randomised trials that exist uh, are guiding where we give. Uh, I'd like to see that uh, that occur to a much greater extent, as, as you're seeing at the moment in the, in the World Bank. Uh, also, for uh, international organisations, I think this is, uh, this is worth encouraging, uh, whether it's the, uh, the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, the uh, Asian Development Bank, uh, the IMF, the World Bank. We should be encouraging the multilaterals to, uh, to be uh, in using the best evidence as they're choosing where to give grants and loans. Okay. And, and what can citizens of a country do to try to make that happen? Is there... Lobby, lobby their, uh, their politicians. Uh, my first engagement with a federal politician was going to see uh, Philip Ruddock, who's a very uh, a, uh, liberal member of the uh, House of Representatives, uh, a very long-standing one. He, uh, I went to see him first as a teenager uh, and he was still there in the, serving in the parliament when I arrived as a newly minted back, backbencher in my late 30s. Uh, but he was fabulous. He didn't share my political views, but he was willing to sit down and listen to me uh, and talk about what was going, going on in Africa and how the Australian aid program could do better through things like uh, gender, gender inclusive giving. Um, so to go and see your local representative and talk about not just the quantity of aid, but the quality as well. Okay. Um, so we've got a, another question around, um, I guess, given the, the community benefits that it incorporates, as you mentioned in your talk, um, can you see effective altruism going genuinely mainstream? Um, are there aspects of the community? I was thinking that it means it wouldn't be able to. Uh, I think we should be ambitious with effective altruism. I, I get what the critics are saying. You do, uh, you, you look at the surveys, at the, the share of people uh, whose giving is shaped by the, the impacts, uh, who the share of people who choose to give to the organisation that runs the randomised trials versus the one that doesn't. And it's frighteningly small. Um, but that's no reason that we shouldn't uh, uh, push on this just as we pushed for evidence-based medicine. You know, if you'd gone back 200 years and you'd said, well, are we going to be able to get doctors to uh, wash their hands and to only use medicines that have passed a double-blind randomised trial, you'd say, no, it's hopeless. Hardly any of them do that. Uh, and yet we've moved medicine on this. And there's no reason we can't move philanthropy in the same way. Uh, effective altruism has the great virtue of being right. Uh, and the, the very fact is that our giving should be guided not just by uh, the happiness that it brings us but the good that it does to the world. We ought to be thinking about the counterfactual. We have to be thinking about the true impact of things. So I, I reckon a little bit more evangelism and effective altruism will just continue to grow and grow and shape the giving of more and more people. Talk about it to your friends and neighbours. You know, what better topic to, uh, to strike up in the Christmas lunch uh, than, uh, than how we can do effective altruism better? 
Okay, I, I like your enthusiasm. Um, so we are running out of time, but I do want to take the um, the top rated question, which I have to admit is a question that was on my mind, particularly reading out your bio, is um, how do you find the time for all these different projects? So um, you've written uh, several books. Um, I, I can't remember the exact number, but it's a lot. Um, a Shadow Minister and your parliamentary duties and running and also your, your podcast, which I really enjoy as well. So, yeah, how do you fit it all in? Uh, I don't watch a lot of television and uh, and I, it turns out I'm biologically fortunate not to need very much sleep, um, but I just, I love writing and I love uh, the process of engaging with ideas. I feel incredibly blessed to have a job in which uh, my constituents want me to be thinking about big ideas, uh, looking at, uh, at, at making positive change uh, and spending time out in the local community. And you can do so many of these things at the same time. So when I was uh, running a, a 50K ultramarathon yesterday, it's also a great chance to engage with the, uh, the, the running community. People are up there talking politics, talking about how we get people more physically engaged, talking about the challenge of running major uh, events during, uh, during coronavirus. Uh, all, a lot of these things sit over the top of one another. You know, I've done a book on community life but that's feeding in today into talking about talking about uh, good public policy for Australia as well. Um, so I feel very fortunate to be at that intersection of uh, uh, the, uh, the the worlds of uh, politics and ideas, uh, and to have the chance to, uh, to to talk to you today. Oh well, we really appreciate you joining us. Um, so I guess unfortunately that is all the the time that we've got left. But yeah, um, thank you so much for joining us, and thanks everybody at home for joining us for this session as well. Thank you. Thanks, Bridget.